podcast from Two and Mike is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. Two and a mic. John Adams did a lot that was good. He was a founding father. He was extremely intelligent. He fought for democracy and the ideals of liberty. He was a man who valued human life and he did not himself own a slave at a time when owning slaves was legal. Then he became VP and, even worse, he became president. Number two, following hot on the heels of George Washington. In my talk with Aidan, assessing the performance of Mr. Adams, we get into the nitty-gritty of this chaotic period in U.S. history and, at the end, surmise how Adams rates, not as a person, but as a president. Thanks again to Aidan, who provides insight and passion in abundance and no shortage of entertainment in his delivery. Enjoy. Hi, Aidan. It's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Zach. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Um, I, I've told you already privately, but uh, I should uh, once again repeat as well. You know, I'm getting lots of really cool um, compliments about you. <laughs> um, I think people just relate to the way that you communicate. Um, you are very liberal with your uh, use of colorful terminology and people like that passion. And that makes me uh, excited. Yeah, yeah, so it's brilliant to hear. And um, yeah, I, I, I just enjoy talking with you. But um, yeah, yeah. They, they, they also appreciate you. So thank you for, for being you, basically. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for letting me uh, <laughs> not really worry about censoring myself too much. Um, <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> yeah, I don't really feel like I'm ever having to like not be myself when I'm like chatting with you and that that always feels nice so I appreciate that good good long may that continue um I can guarantee that there will be no censorship from my side um <laughs> so you know what feel free man you know freedom that of makes speech me and all excited that. <laughs> yeah bring it in so okay so today we're going to be talking about uh number two um yeah Mr. John Adams so the senior member of the Adams family if you yeah. Pardon that particular reference point. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Where's the hand? Um, so yeah, I mean, where where would we, where would we start with that, Aiden? Uh, I mean, with him being born in Massachusetts Bay Colony in seventeen thirty-five, <laughs> that's probably where <laughs> that's... I'd start it. <laughs> Pretty early on, he like became a lawyer, graduating from Harvard and getting into his profession and immediately found like patriotism. Like he immediately was like, I like the stamp, like the Stamp Act thing. Fuck that. I do not appreciate that being around. And he was super verbal about it. Um, and like that really 
him verbalizing a lot of this stuff really ended up getting eyes on him just because he really knew what he was talking about. You know, he was his political savvy was something that I wrote down was just phenomenal. Like he did know what he was talking about. He knew how to be a good diplomat. He knew how to like communicate between people. He knew how to address like the problems that he saw. Um, And it felt as though he usually did a pretty decent job, Um, at least in his early career. Like you'll see later on that he definitely goes very back and forth um was something that i heard and read a lot was that he just like his personality was not built for the presidency because he was like um he was super soft-spoken he was really insecure about a lot of his decisions he had a lisp he just like there were a lot of he was never really the person that people were like you should lead it was usually just like uh all right you're you're stepping into this position okay kind of thing um and so, like, he joins the first first and second Continental Congress um, and appoints Tom or George Washington as the commander of the Continental Army um, and travels across seas and becomes like a diplomat for uh, between Britain and France. And it like he's in France and working with between France and Holland and Britain to try to negotiate like peace ag- agreements between everyone because at this point everything is kind of fucked over there <clears throat> yeah um yeah I, I mean yeah you really sort of wrap things up there more or less this uh <laughs> the <laughs> yeah we can stop now okay end up no, yep, no. Now um, it. <laughs> <laughs> but no i mean yeah you're, you're absolutely spot on as well um so i i, I chose a slightly different approach to doing the research on John Adams. Um, and I just kind of went into documentation and uh, articles and, and sort of, you know, essays and stuff like that, rather than yeah. uh, pouring through documentaries. Um, yeah. And something that really does come up is exactly as you say, the guy was extremely intelligent. Um, he he could really organize his thoughts into a very coherent and convincing argument um and i think that's basically what sort of set him up for the career that he was to have thereafter allowed himself to simply be satisfied up until he became vp to george washington i think you could have said you know damn this guy was you know i think he probably would have had a far greater legacy um than later on becoming vp twice and then president as well because yeah, i think uh, those i think those 12 years kind of knocked you know who he was um yeah ma- mainly for what you said that he kind of flowed this way and that way and i think he lost his path as it were considerably yeah. like you kind of see it the further on that he goes that the more that like he's kind of going back and forth with with his decisions and like I mean, early on, I mean, he's really, he is doing, like, I completely agree that in the, if he would have not become president, his legacy would have been very, very different. Like, because he became president and the things that happened during his presidency, his legacy is completely shot from that point, you know? Like, we look at his legacy as a president and he did not do a lot of things that were, like, known for being great, like... We'll get into that stuff later, but it's a lot of just, like, his decisions going back and forth. He's not being super – like, he's just not being consistent 
as an individual like and that's something that you need from a president is somebody who is consistent you need somebody who's reliable um he was noted as like just being all over the place like he'd wake up one day and he'd be like in a great mood feeling like he was on top of the world and then the next day he'd wake up and he was like feeling like he had nothing and it's like you go back and forth in those ways and it's just really tough like and you're leading this country that it, like <laughs> that has just become a country you know like that's a tough place to be um yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, that kind of brings into question whether or not he suffered from uh, imposter syndrome or some other kind of psychological um, you know, pressures, as it were, that yeah. he kind of placed upon himself. And let's face it, he's president number two. You know, there is no psychological or backup team support where you've got people who sit there and say, you know, hey, Mr. President, you know, you need to take a rest. You need to do this. You yeah. need to do that. You, you don't have that team back then. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. and so so therefore to be able to reflect upon that as we can now, as it were. Yeah. Um, he didn't have access to those things, which could have made a difference. Yeah. The whole time that I was like reading these like little bits about his personality the whole time i was just like i feel like if this was our time period we would be able to diagnose these things you know like we'd be able to figure out what's wrong with him just through simple diagnoses and like that might not mean that he's suitable for president you know like and that's totally possible um so the whole time it was just thinking about like the modern day the things that we have now and how we can like look at them and it really does change it, you know, like looking at that point of view, it's like, oh, that's probably like maybe he was bipolar, like maybe he had this like back and forth thing like going on. And that could explain like those feelings, you know, like the imposter syndrome, 100 percent. Like he, I could understand that. I mean, considering the stuff that he did and then getting into this position and just kind of like especially after being VP where he felt like he had no power, he did nothing whatsoever, like getting into the position of being president and then having all of the power, it's like, whoa, okay, hold up. Like, this is probably a, a big change for him, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. And you could, you could say with, based upon some of the, the kind of positions that he held that may have got to his head a little bit. Um, yeah. But again, as you say, we'll come back to that later. But I mean, he's he's not the first leader, is he, to have had some kinds of issues, um, whether they are psychological or physical ailments. We, you know, we talked about uh, George Washington before that he was, you know, constantly sort of badgered, as it were, with uh, physical problems. And mm. uh, it's it's not an easy job to have, is it? No. And I think that once you get like, all the problems that you had beforehand are only exacerbated because you become president. You know, like it's everything tenfold, like the pressure's on. And when the pressure's on, your body feels that too. Like, and you are going to have physical side effects because of it. And so I could totally understand and see if like he's already having some smaller problems in his life. But then, like, you get into the presidency and you have all this stress and you have all this pressure on you. And it just adds on to it so much that you're just like your body is physically breaking down, you know, like George Washington, homie was dying in office 
Like, he had a couple of heart attacks, and he was just like, and then he was like, all right, guys, I think I'm done. Like, and then he died. <laughs> and it was like, tight. You know? Like, and I think that that's another thing that's really interesting with Adams is him being part of the Federalist Party, like, and him being president while he's kind of watching the Federalist Party die. You know, like, George Washington dies, Alexander Hamilton gets fucking dueled and dies as well from Vice President uh, Aaron Burr. And, like, this is post his presidency at this point, but he is watching it happen, and he, like, at the very end of his presidency, he makes, like, the big move to, like, stack the courts, and he does. Like, (laughs) and it's one of these things where it's, like, you see it in the same situation from the past, but, like, you look at it nowadays, and we've also had presidents who have stacked the court, and it's not really a huge, like, it feels like a huge deal, but in some ways it's really not, you know? Like, and it was just because he was worried about losing the Federalist Party in the way that he did. Like, that party did die out, and it did become, like, the Whigs and um, another party that I can't remember the name of. Um, But they were, like, both under like abraham lincoln's parties at one point like abraham lincoln supported those parties um and it's just a really interesting thing to see how those coincide and watching them happen and watching how he is responding to it all happen you know i think his presidency really does just show like at least like at the very end it really showed fear to me like fear of losing everything that he had like worked for you know yeah, and th- this is another issue we're going to come back to as well, because this this element of the dignity of the office, it's yeah. so I think it's somehow presidents who then have that office forget the fact that it's the office and not the individual. I feel, and that's a very easy um, sort of trap to fall into. Uh, yeah, and and uh, you know from what I read, Adams. You know, when he left the White House, he kind of tiptoed out in the middle of the night because shit, you know, I don't yeah. want to leave this place. So, I mean, yeah. you know, we we can all relate to this this kind of story, as it were. But I mean, let's not forget there's another guy more recently who did everything he could to stay in the White House. And that didn't work yeah. very well either. Um, but yeah. Okay. And it's, it's yeah. so fun to draw those parallels, you know, like to be like, oh, wait, Donald Trump also like stack the courts like we're getting ahead of ourselves but like when barack obama left his office he left a bunch of seats open in america's courts and it was it was an unbelievable amount of seats and as soon as donald trump came into office he filled pretty much every single one of those seats with republican judges and that drastically changes things like and you see the same thing here and it's fun to draw those parallels of like here's another president way more recently who also tiptoed out of the white house like he stole things from the white house like and here's number 2 doing the exact same sort of shit you know like it's so fun i love it <laughs> yeah and it's also great the you know, as you say the parallels between trump and uh, adams uh, earlier in Trump's uh, life, he was critical of anybody who um, claimed the fifth because yeah. he said, if you claim the fifth, you're guilty. And then obviously we all saw how later on, oh, no, I'd I, I take the fifth on that one. Um, the fifth. The yeah, fifth. And exactly. And in a similar case here with Adams, um, with regards to the, you know, the, the courts, um, you know, he very much argued for the independence of the courts and um, at an earlier stage. And then afterwards, as you said, stacking them himself. So therefore, 
you know, committing the very same crime for which uh, part of his reputation had been built upon before. But anyway, um, yeah. we're jump we're jumping around, and it's because we're yeah. probably excited to get into some of these things. All right, let's let's go back to the Stamp Act of 1765. As to why yeah. they would give a shit, I don't know exactly. But anyway, so <laughs> f for this privilege of having officially stamped documents, they would have to pay a direct tax. I guess it's what we all pay stamps for nowadays. Um, oh. And the intention of this from the Brits was that it would pay for their war with France. So, yep. OK, um, Adams didn't like this. Adams had some stuff to say. <laughs> he was, I, yeah, I love what he says about it. He's like, I mean, he, he pretty much just dismantles it for, like from the base and like takes it from the British like rule of law, which is like no taxation without consent, which is like one of the first things that he brings up. He's like, you cannot do this like this. We are not consenting to this. And also the jury to like a jury of peers. And there's nobody in the British rule of parliament at that point that is representing the colonies. And so the whole time he's just like, what the fuck are you guys doing? That like you're you're not being representative to me or the people here. So fuck you. And that's awesome. Like and he, that's pretty much what gets him like his big claim of fame is like him with the Stamp Act is his his verbalization and his way of communicating that it's wrong and the fact that it's and the way that it is just fact you know like he is dismantling it from the british rule of law and it's exactly true you know like you can't you can't say no to that and that's why everybody is like yeah no he's right you know and that's why he gets to be like one of the delegates in the first and second constitutional conventions you know yeah, and you 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 lead me on to this fantastic quotation of his. Uh, it's a bit long, so please bear with me. Yeah? But yeah. I I had to take this down because it was fantastic. Facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. And then he goes on to say, it is more important that innocence be protected than it is that guilt be punished. For guilt and crimes are so frequent in this world that they cannot all be punished. But if innocence itself is brought to the bar and condemned perhaps to die, then the citizen will say, whether I do good or whether I do evil is immaterial, for innocence itself is no protection. Um, and just to conclude that, he says, and if such an idea as that were to take hold in the mind of the citizen, then that would be the end of security whatsoever um yeah, i mean what a good mind the guy just knew what he was talking about and to be honest you could probably take these sentences um and you know throw them into any kind of trial right now and people would say oh yeah know, that's yeah. that's something that's that, something yeah i'm not even 100 percent sure what you said but yeah <laughs> like yeah like <laughs> i think it's mm. like I, I also wrote that quote down just because it was just like I wrote it. I think I ended up writing it down in reference to the Boston massacre because he ended up defending like 
I mean, when the Boston Massacre happened, nobody really wanted to be the defendant for the British in this situation. Like, they had just killed five people in the street. And mind you, after they had been heckled, you know, like, I think that that's always, like, a point that should be brought up that I don't remember learning about when I was, like, learning about the Boston Massacre was that the British soldiers were being heckled pretty harshly and, like, that the colonists were, like, throwing stones and shit at them. And it's just, like... Yeah, it's a tough situation to be in. I wouldn't immediately start shooting, but I would also, like, I would be on edge, you know? Um, And so Adams ends up, like, he's in their trial for them, and he's their representative for the trial. And he ends up getting six of them acquitted, and only two of them end up going to jail. And that's just impressive, man. Like, the dudes that you're going to fight and the dudes that you're, like, delegating all of this shit with like you're in a few years you're going to be going across seas and you're going to be figuring out how to make peace you know like of course you're the dude to do this like you're the dude who just fucking got six of the british that murdered five people acquitted in a situation that does not seem very likely like i feel like if this happened anywhere else no like (laughs) this would be a very different situation you know like those british soldiers would probably be murdered and or hung or something along those lines. And Adams being the intellectual mind that he is just is like just fucking with the with the book, man. And he's just like, nope. And it's impressive. Like it, it's impossible to deny how impressive that is. And even if you don't agree with what he did, like his brain, like what he was able to do and the way that he was able to do it is just like good job. Like, I think that it's way more um, worth talking about than George Washington's ability to, like, communicate in this way. Like, George Washington did write a lot of letters and whatnot, and he was well-spoken. But this is a dude who knows what he's talking about. It's not that he's well-spoken. It's that he knows every little thing that he's talking about. He knows, like, the back of his hand, man. And he's able to put it all out there. And he's able, like, he knows every in and out of every argument. And it's just fucking amazing. Like, and that's why he's able to do what he does. And that's why he, like, his legacy before presidency is notable. Like, if you just don't look at his presidency, this dude's legacy is pretty, pretty, pretty great, you know? Like... I mean, especially for somebody who didn't own slaves during the time. I thought that that was really interesting. I mean, he did hire from, like, in, like enslaved people to help, like, like people who owned enslaved individuals. He hired their work, with, like, during the his time in the VP and the presidency. But beforehand and afterward, it was all like contractual work from free African-Americans and anybody else who was willing to work. And they paid them. And I thought that that was just really interesting. You know, I didn't know that. I always thought that all of our founders had slaves. Nope. This dude uh, was a little bit different. I just thought that that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and his son, too. Um, by yeah. Accounts. So uh, interestingly, the, the only two presidents who at the time when slavery was legal in the U.S. Um, were the only two presidents who never owned slaves themselves. Um, yeah. So yeah, very interesting. And I mean, this all does come back kind of to the, the, the fact that the, he had a very firm grounding in the principles 
um, of a fledgling movement idea concept for freedom, for liberty um, in the United States. And whether or not it was his actual opinion that um, Africans would also benefit from you know, this growing freedom and liberty, um, yeah. he enacted that in his own personal decision making and for the family. Um, you know, whether or not he was a really nice guy, you know, that's a different matter because there are yeah. also lots of criticisms that I found about him. Um, but we can come to those again a bit later because we 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 really do kind of have to build up the person he was before he became president. Because you know, as we know, our grading system is kind of limited to him as a president. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of want to build him up a bit before we shoot the guy down. Um, yeah, no kidding. That's why I'm like trying to like stretch out a little bit. Like I want to stretch out the his beginning bits as much as possible, just because it is like, and especially for our first for like one term president, his presidency isn't long, and it's not full of like, it's not full of a lot, but the things that it is that it does have in it is not good, <laughs> and so I definitely think like stretching out more of his earlier life. And more of the time that he spent, like, in the colonies, spending time in France and being a minister in Britain um, and then coming back to America and becoming VP. Like, these are all they're all notable things happening in this time period that really are building up to his character and why he is being appointed to the positions that he gets to be in, you know? Yeah. Um and we also have to consider the changes that went through him. Um, so even after the Stamp Act, uh, 1765, you know, up until around 1772, he's still very much adamant that uh, the United States should remain uh, part of the of the United Kingdom of, of Britain of Great Britain at the time. Yeah. Um, even though the British government, uh, the actions taken by the British government, the the, the Crown, as it were, um, were in many ways misguided and wrong. Um, however, when the Crown assumed payment of the salaries of Governor Thomas Hutchinson and his judges, instead of the Massachusetts Legislature. This is when Adams kind of goes apeshit and says, no, 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 no. You guys are now destroying judicial <laughs> independence. Um, and the uh, by sort of you know, taking over uh, the you know, colonial government, it is becoming much closer to to the subjugation of the crown or to the crown. Yeah. Um, and so he is really pissed off about this. It, it's interesting to see him once again. We'll see his back and forth thing, um, but with the British in particular, like he is, he's very fond of the British government and the form of British government. But it's interesting to see like when he's like, oh, you've crossed the line of too much British. Like, I just think it's so interesting to see that happen with him because later on he is super in favor of the British, like. For a lot of the time, like after even as soon as the War of Independence is won, he is very much in favor of getting America back in touch with the British, you know, like to get trade going back and forth. But to see where he's like, nope, that's wrong. I don't like that. That's not America enough. But that's also too British. 
like I'm just you're too back and forth for me, man. Like it's one or the other. You're either going to stick to the America thing the whole time or you're going to be British, like an Anglophile the whole time, you know, and it's it's tough to see this back and forth thing because it does lead to like these feelings of inconsistency, you know, like especially for somebody who is going to want a government that is very close to the British form of government, you know. This does lead to him finally making the change in mind of, hey, we need an independent colony. Like the the colonies need to be an independent thing, you know, and that's that's a good like that's a big shift to see and to have, and it's a little bit more in line with where a lot more of the colonists are at because at this point, more like there are way more colonists who are more like, we're done with this. Like we've mm. been done with this for a little while. And, like, to finally see somebody like Adams, who's this intellectual mind, like, that feels leagues above everybody else, to see him finally, like, kind of be like, yes, okay. I I bet that there was, like, a feeling of, like, reassurance that people felt of, like, okay, so I'm not crazy, you know? Like, this is this is wrong. That's what's happening, you know? Um, I think, what an interesting uh, feeling that must have been. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it's also interesting that what kind of really, you know, got him so vexed was that he he refused to accept that the colonies were under the sovereignty of parliament. Um, and he maintained that the original charter and their allegiance was exclusive to the king. So now he was happy to kind of take orders from the monarch. But he didn't want these uh, representatives of the British public saying what the uh, people in the colonies should be doing. Yeah. Um, I, and this almost makes me feel as though later on when he's president, some of the stuff that he comes out with um, kind of flies back towards this extremely interesting concept that he has of the monarch. Um the role of the monarch, the importance of the monarch, and whether or not for him this essence of divine rule really had some kind of fundamental basis to it. Um, yeah. and, and I find that quite interesting. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I, uh, I think it's kind of cool to see this time period because this is where the mind shift starts to happen with a lot of people with like, the divine rule of a of a king like why are why is it a divine rule like why are you the guy who gets to be in charge you're not doing stuff for me like i mean with the french revolution happening like not too far, like long after this i mean the whole time those people are like you're not doing this shit for me and this is in our country you know like this is happening right here and with the america thing with it being overseas it feels like it's easier to make that kind of disconnect with the monarch, you know, like the monarch is all the way over there and we're all the way over here. So there's immediately that disconnect. But like, it's so fun to see that mind shift of like, why are you in power? Like what what gives you the right <laughs> to be here, you know, and to see Adams kind of struggle with it and think about it, too, and kind of be like, is this what we think it is you know like is this something that we should still have is this something because i mean like when he becomes vp he spends like a month w with the senate 
deciding the name for the president and like a lot of the choices end up with like your majesty the president and stuff like that and it's like he very much still feels this this relation to britain and to like that divine rule and he still feels as though like maybe it should be applicable to the u.s in some way and it's interesting to see how he kind of goes it kind of struggles with that you know yeah um and this leads on thereafter to this extremely famous event, the Boston Tea Party, um, for which... I've never heard of that. No, I don't know what happened there. Um, but he's obviously involved here as well. And so therefore we have to you know, draw into um, you know, the, the conversation. Um, the yeah. role that this guy played in so many of these important, um, you know, sort of fundamental founding events for what became the USA. Um, And and I'm not sure if he's really credited with, okay, he's one of the founding fathers and so on. um, But I'm not sure if he's really credited with uh, so much of what actually happened. I I, I could perhaps even go so far as to say, had it not been for him, um, there might not even have been the United States of America or even the founding fathers. I think that that's I I would happen to agree with you because I think that that's not too far off like especially in the positions that he had been in like right place right time every time you know like he's at these big moments he's at these big events and like regardless of his stature as an individual like in his personality being such such like a like kind of an abrasive person like he was known as being very pompous and kind of full of himself at times. Um, and so to kind of like imagine that and him being in all these situations, like if it wasn't for him doing some of these bigger decisions, like, I mean, he was a dude who appointed George Washington to lead the Continental Army. Like if it wasn't for his appointment as the leader, I don't know how things would have gone, you know? I mean, I imagine that somebody else probably would have pointed out Washington. But you know what I mean? Like, his involvement with, like, the Declaration of Independence. Like, his involvement with the editing and writing of that. Like, there's a lot behind him that really is just, like, he's a big guy that did a lot of really big stuff. And I agree that he's not, like, credited for a lot of it. Like, he doesn't get note for a lot of the stuff that he's involved in. Yeah, and also just to reiterate, with regards to the Boston Tea Party, um, now the, it, the the ship there, um, the schooner, Dart, the Dartmouth, um, was owned by the British East India Company. Now, having read a bit of what the British East India Company did over in, in India um, and Afghanistan and what became Pakistan and, and that kind of um, area, um, these guys are absolute bastards. Um, they are horrific, inhumane, barbaric, uh, name anything you want. As in, these guys yeah. killed people in the kind of ways that even on Game of Thrones, you're not likely to see, as in they were horrific, <laughs> the stuff that these guys did. Um, so yeah, any kind of horrible. loss, oh man, I said any kind of loss that these guys uh, received, for me, it should be applauded. Um, and um, yeah, Adams also called it the the destruction of the tea. He called it the grandest event. 
um, in the history of the colonial protest movement. And he called the he also called it absolutely and indispensably a necessary action. So I um, yeah, I think I agree. Yeah. Good on you, man. Like <laughs> just fucking taking down the system, you know, and somebody's got to do it. And he's seizing the opportunity and like just right place, right time. And to be able to have that intellectual mind and to also be able to speak about it so eloquently and to do what he's doing the whole time. I'm just like, good job. Like, especially his, like just his early career is just impressive. Like it just it just stacks on top of itself. And it's just like, wow, you really like you're really setting up for something. Absolutely. And and before we get to the, you know, him becoming president, so two more sort of minor points. And I mean, I mean, you know, we're probably not going to talk very long about his presidency, but anyway, yeah. you know, because you know, whatever it was. But uh, so two <laughs> points then um, during Congress, he sat on 90 committees and he chaired yeah. 25. Oh yeah. My God. Yeah. And Benjamin Rush said that he was acknowledged to be the first man in the House. Yeah. Um, and, and also in 76, he became head of the Board of War and Ordnance and he was in charge of all of the record keeping and so on. And they yeah. referred to him as a one man war department, basically, because of the way in which he managed all of these things. I mean, that's just crazy. Oh my God, just what the fuck, dude? I can't imagine doing half of what this dude is up to. Oh my god! And like in the time period that he's doing it too, like you can imagine that that this shit, like it's not on like a file or like on a drive or something like that, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's no email, there's no WhatsApp. Yeah, you know? like this dude is like passing letters and writing them by hand, and he's like, like he's doing all of the shit and he's coordinating all of it with like people who are also writing out and delivering these letters, and like to imagine how many people he must have had to like even though he's doing most of this shit on his own to imagine the team behind that to make all of it still work is unbelievable like holy cow like i remember reading into like his home life and like um just because he was somebody who moved around so much like and his his family followed with him you know and so like his family had a lot of people like hired servants that did a lot of stuff. And so I can't like, I can't imagine how much money you're spending on people that are helping you during this time. I can't imagine how many people you're like moving during this time. Like you're not just moving your family and your four children. I think it's four children. I can't remember, but like you're also moving like, I, I genuinely don't even know how many people it was like a lot, probably like because we're just looking at his earlier achievements. And this is a lot of shit that he's doing, you know, like there's no way that John Adams is riding his horse to all of these places to deliver all these letters. You know, like he doesn't have the fucking time to do that. He's on like he's the head of 20 committees and he's in 90 of them, you know, like he doesn't have time for that shit, dog. He's got a fucking he's got to go but you can't go that far you know and it's just so fucking cool to to imagine how much work this dude had to put in to get to where he got and then to just see like the ball fum like him fumble 
Yeah, and uh, another thing, and the last point to, to make before we jump into his presidency. So basically, you know, in, in sort of 1797, when they were preparing themselves for, for the election and so on. Um, yeah. He, Adams himself, said that he would stay out of the process of electioneering because he called it a silly and wicked game. Yeah. Um, I mean... For me, that guy deserves, uh, you know, credit for for that particular observation because, um, you know, you and I, I think we both agree with the fact that in currently in the United States, it's not realistic for any bod off the street to become president. You just can't do yeah. it because you no. need to have either millions or billions or <laughs> access to people who have millions or billions, and the average bod off the street doesn't have that. Nope. So for me, it's not really a democracy, you know, because it's kind of hard for anyone to rise to that level. And in the early days, yeah, but in the early days, one of the founding fathers, which everybody in the USA, oh, the founding fathers, he said electioneering was a pile of shit. And yet that is the process upon which now elections are conducted. Why oh. doesn't anybody remember this? Yeah. Yeah. Num- number two said it. It's a silly and wicked game. Pay attention, please. Some people like I mean, it's amazing the the small things that our founders picked up on that they were like, these are going to destroy us. You know, like Adams with the electioneering, like, uh, yeah, this is a huge problem in the U.S. right now that they're just the cap limit to get into being able to run for office is just so high that the average Joe just isn't going to fucking make that, you know, like a level of money that you would never be able to conceive in your lifetime kind of thing. And that's tough. And that really dampens the feeling of there being a democracy and like, George Washington also said that if we had a two-party system, that the United States would fall apart. And here we are with two parties. And, um, I mean, we do have a third, but it doesn't have enough representation that most people don't think about it. Like, And so we really are in a place of just two parties, and it is so – it's so divisive. We are so – you're on that side, I'm on this side, and that's horrible. Like, we've been in places like this before, and the further that we go in these situations, like, it's not going to go well. We need to find more unifiers. And so, like, to see these little things that our founders picked up on that they were just like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's a thing that's going to be a problem. Like, you fucking nailed it on the head, dog. If you came back into this time period, like, 250 years later... Like, you're going to fucking be disappointed, like, at a lot of the shit that you're going to see, you know? Um, and also by the, you know, just simply by the, the quality of individuals or the lack of quality mm-hmm. of the individuals who are supposedly representing uh, the good people of the nation. Um Okay. All right. So we've kind of built this guy up now to be or to having been extremely intelligent, organized uh, in his mind, knows what he's talking about. 
um, is a revolutionary and has a very sort of clear view on what he believes should be methods for managing certain things. He's very efficient, hardworking. Yeah. Um, but a couple of character flaws, as you said before, he's a bit moody. Um, he doesn't like taking advice. Yeah. So uh, these come to be certain elements of his presidency, um, which create, as you suggested as well, uh, problems within his Federalist Party. So there is a split. Yeah. Um, and perhaps partially it's this character of his uh, that in some ways uh, brings that particular split about. It's just so interesting to see somebody who's doing so well go so low. <laughs> you know, like it's tough, man. Like it, re like the setup for such a for somebody who's doing so many great things to come down to like you pretty much fucked it, bud. You could definitely have a better presidency. It's tough following the first, you know, like, and I think that the pressure's really on at that point. But like you said, like, you're not taking advice from your fucking cabinet, dude. That's the whole point of the cabinet. Like, these are all people who are experts in their field that know what they're talking about. And they're there for you to talk to and to get help from and to bounce ideas off of and to get advice. Like... These are people in your cabinet, dog. They should be as close to you as your fucking family at this point. Like, if you're president, they need to be right there. And he's not utilizing that resource, you know? And it's such a valuable resource to use. And he's just not going to use it for most of his presidency. Yeah, and, and what's even more uh, interesting about that is the, the, the point that you make, it's particularly pertinent because... At this point in the United States history, there is no real precedent for all of the principles and decisions and um, protocols and you know methodologies. You can, even though it's like the third term, so two of George Washington and the first of Adams, you can still yeah. pretty much make shit up as you go on, as long as you've got a decent uh, argument to to hatch, you know. Um, so he could really have created so much uh, during his presidency, considering the, the mass uh, of intelligence that this person must have naturally possessed. And yet yeah. he didn't do so, um, probably because of the, I don't know, maybe becoming president was this huge ambition that he'd secretly harbored. And eventually it's there and that's it. You know, this is I am God. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. However. He had one consistent thorn in his side, and that's the French, basically, um, throughout his presidency. And it kind of starts with the, the French and it ends with the French and somewhere in between the Brits get involved as well. But um, well, so it, it, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't help that Thomas Jefferson is his VP and is so in love with France, you know, like this really does create that. It creates tension in the the whole system, you know, it creates tension in the party. And so, like, with the president making these decisions and having such, like, backlash from somebody who really is like, no, don't do that. Like, 
during this time, like in the very beginning of his presidency, Jay's treaty has been enacted, and this is allowing for the Amer- like American ships and British ships to trade between one another again. And so, American ships are on the coast of like Britain, and they're traveling back and forth. Yeah, the French yeah. don't like it. They they are yeah. very unhappy about it, and so they start sinking American ships, and. It becomes this huge problem for Adams, Adams, Adams. the whole time. Yeah, I'm think I'm getting ahead of myself because a little bit later on, Jefferson and Matt and Madison come up with like just such a wild, like little like um, piece of law that ends up leading to South Carolina succeeding seceding from the Union in the Civil War, which I was like, oh wow, that's I did not know that. That's pretty wild. <laughs> um, but yeah, just what a pain for him like and to figure out how to navigate those situations like it's tough when you have somebody who's next to you that's the whole time just being like no but we like the french though like i like the french we should also like the french like they helped us out yeah um and this sort of divided loyalties from you know number two the you know his cabinet as you say it really didn't help out so um there are three main sort of affairs that i've noted during his presidency their first one is the xyz affair which relates to the three individuals that the french represented um, for the uh, american diplomatic commission uh, because they wanted to well some people wanted to go to war with France um, and Adams kind of wanted to perhaps as well, but then he decided, no, let's send a diplomatic mission to to France um, and and see what we can sort out um, to try to get them to stop uh, sinking our ships. And exactly as you say, he was undermined by Jefferson because Jefferson basically told his contacts to communicate to Paris look, if you kind of procrastinate and delay this process as much as possible, the longer it takes, uh, the more it's going to suit you. Um, and that's kind of basically what happens is that the the Americans turn up and uh, the French kind of leave them there for a few days, don't even speak to them. Um, and And then when they do, they say to them, uh, yeah, you need to pay us a bribe so basically you know you need to give um Talleyrand the French foreign minister a certain amount because of the insulting speech that Adams gave in (laughs) Congress and you have to pay the French uh republic a certain amount of money because of the insult and um yeah that's not really the way to conduct uh peace negotiations is it no Peace negotiations are like in in a weird like when it's like we want peace. You have to pay us money. Peace kind of thing. Like I that shit is always wild. Like I mean, um, what after World War One with like us forcing Germany to pay us like pay back all the money for destroying like France and Britain, like or France and like all the other countries around that area because it was a pretty big conflict but like i mean to pay all that money back it was such a huge deal that it's just like dude this is not this doesn't feel like peace because now we're at war at home (laughs) like now nobody has money and that's such a crazy idea to like but like the idea of like coming in and being like all right we're gonna make them wait for a few days and then when they 
when we do the negotiations, are gonna be pieces of shit. <laughs> it's just like tight, dude. <laughs> that's that's how yeah. peace goes. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, also, I mean, the, there are many things that we have to remember that the, this isn't the, the France of today. This isn't the United States of today. Yeah, I yeah. think back in you know, those times, there were thirteen states. I believe was the number, you know, Adam's government, you know, the party, the ruling party was called the Federalist Party. He was the only Federalist president. Um, No other president represented that party because it was divided at the time and then it split eventually. Um, And and so therefore, there, you know, very much we are looking at the formulation of political parties, the Republican Party at the time. Yeah. Um, You know, people don't really know what party that they want to follow or why they want to follow these parties. So, you know, the ability of politicians to argue one way or another is pretty influential in creating this partisanship within the electorate. Um, And it seems as though the Federalists completely screwed that up. Um, And I mean, the XYZ affair was a great opportunity for the Federalists to say, look, The French are Republicans, or they want to become a republic. um, And look what they're doing to us. This isn't necessarily the way we want to go. But they couldn't. He wasn't able to do that. Um, And the Republican Party in the US basically became the ruling party because they were able to take advantage of the situation. And they were able uh, to kind of dominate the narrative. They ended up having like a 40 year long, like <clears throat> stretch of time that they were in power, like post Adams. It was Jefferson to like and then the next several presidents were all on that on that same side. And basically until 1829, they were they yeah. all had the word Republican, 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 National Republican. And it's only Andrew Jackson in 1829 who comes in as a Democrat. So, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like that momentary, like, here we come. And then like, yeah, but it's just tough to like have those long periods of time where it's just one party that that's ruling and because of that you see the impact of what happens like in that like span of time the u.s starts expanding pretty fucking hard like and manifest not yeah manifest destiny and it's not a friendly thing you know like and we see it for the we're going to be seeing this for the next several years how presidents are treating the native americans and how they're dealing with the native americans and like Honestly, that's something that I didn't dig into, but I wish that I dig, dug into more with with Adams was his dealings with Native Americans, because that's such a crucial thing when looking at the president in this time period is like, how did they treat the people who were here first? And like, because we're going to be seeing people who are not going to fucking treat them well at all. Like, we're going to be seeing some of the meanest shit possible to people who just lived you know like they didn't do anything wrong other than get in the way of americans and as you know and as you can tell uh being in the way of america is not a good place to be because america just fucking plows like we just go to town and we will get there if we want to and it's fucking terrifying like we do it (laughs) 
Yeah, there, there is this very strange. I mean, we can we'll talk about it late, much much later on when we start getting to Reagan and CPAC and so on. Yeah, because uh, there are some sort of consistent themes that lead all the way through, um, yeah. and so it's it's really interesting for us now to come in right at the beginning because we can sort of reanalyze all of this stuff and we can see exactly why we've got this very. Um, sort of finance-oriented uh, imperialism um, or capitalist yeah. imperialism, um, and the interests of uh, of not it's not even the the American state; it's the interests of individual elements within that state, um, yeah. and the government basically pursues their interests on their behalf. Um, but anyway, again, I'm getting ahead yeah. of myself. You know, we'll be talking about this stuff next next year. But um, yeah, no yeah, kidding. So, yeah. So the next issue then is the okay, the Alien and Sedition Acts. Now we oh, don't yeah. have to go into too much detail about this, but I mean, if you were going to kind of um, sort of no, sum no. these things up, how would you, how would you do it? Yeah. Um, so in the Alien Sedition Act, it's just like a bunch of weird shit piled in to one thing. Um, it had the Naturalization Act inside of it, which basically made it so that way you had to be a resident of the U.S. for 14 years to become like a U.S. citizen, which is kind of a long time, um, in case you haven't noticed. And then, and in that time period, that is a very long time. Um, so that's kind of a tough deal. Um, that did that increased it pretty dramatically if i'm not mistaken from what it used to be i can't remember what the original number was um but then the alien friends act and alien enemies act allowed for the president to deport anyone from any nation considered dangerous to the country which is whoa (laughs) i was like what a fucking wild thing to be able to do um and then the sedition act which is easily the biggest thing that he that was in this which uh if you said anything bad about the government, fuck you. You go to jail or you get a big fine. Um, that include that included like any like false or scandalous statements that about the government, like anything that just kind of made the government look bad, um, was deemed as something that like you could be punished for. There were people who were punished for it. There was some dude who just said that John Adams had a fat ass and he was arrested for it. Um, just like saying it in the middle of a bar and it's just like, what the fuck dude? Like, and and so people really were pissed off about that. Like that ended up with like several rebellions that were put down that of people that were like, yo, you're impeding on our first amendment right of freedom of speech. You know, like the thing that we just established is being impeded on by number two and like his response is like we saw with George Washington is to get like a military force to go put it down. And so he gets Alexander Hamilton to go put it down with like a small army, you know? And it's just like, Jesus Christ, John. what the fuck? And, and this is probably where you, what you were saying earlier that when Jefferson writing for Kentucky stated that any state had the natural right to nullify any acts that they deemed to be unconstitutional. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that later on, perhaps we'll, we'll come back to the beginnings of some of these uh, these issues. Yeah. But um, as I kind of referred to earlier, there's this uh, sense of um, the importance of a king 
Um, and it seemed to me that with these, you know, it, all of these, these four acts or whatever, they came about within a period of two weeks. He was almost making himself a king. Yeah. That he could say and do pretty much what he wanted. And if anybody disagreed, they were out. And because yeah. he gave himself the, the right to be able to do that. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, it doesn't really surprise me that he, um, yeah, he, he couldn't no. really ca- carry that particular can very long. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's just such a backwards idea for somebody who is so like involved in the fundamentals of the building of this country, you know, like he was involved in all of it. And to then be like, no, you can't say anything bad about the government or me. Like, what a backwards thing to do, you know, like that just completely contradicts so much that you had worked for as an individual. Like, it's not like you didn't have any like skin in the game, you know, like you had worked for this for years like decades and then you as an individual as a president aren't choosing to be like eh, all right nope and that's such a wild idea to me and um it, it kind of flies in the face of some of the arguments that he used earlier uh, when we we're talking yeah. about the stamp act uh, which was basically um the yeah the, the rights of freedom um, yeah essentially and um yeah and the right to trial by one's peers. Um, this really flew in the face of those particular principles. So it's uh, it's interesting um, how sometimes, um, you know, what made a person particularly um, important uh, with regards to the development of legal principles and political ethics later on um, are so quickly forgotten when yeah. they are the ones in power and are no longer the ones on the side of the rebels, which is interesting. I I don't think that there's a lot in Adam's presidency that really makes him stand out as doing much that's good. And that's tough. Like, it really puts a dampen on so much of what made him a great individual in the beginning. You know, like, if he would have just retired after being VP and not really getting any satisfaction out of it. Like the whole time that he was in these positions, he was making his son into the most like political, like somebody, a video that I watched, somebody described it as like him being RoboCop, but of like um, him being the RoboCop of the political world, you know? Was that, like, was that your little brother? Yeah, that's my little brother. Hey, <laughs> Just does, does he have any? School. Does he have any opinions to give on this? I honestly don't think he does. He's probably got something <laughs> to say about Minecraft or Pokemon. Um, if we want to change it up, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's such yeah. a it's such a wild thing, you know. Like he he worked so hard for all this shit, and then. To just completely contradict all of it in his presidency is just so difficult to watch. And it's so difficult to see. Um, I mean, he really did just work so hard during his entire, like, beginning of his career. But, like, I feel as though he could have stepped back and just been okay with it because he was making his son into, like, he, he was making his son into the most political human being that he possibly could. Like, him and his mother were trying to do that. Like, and he was going to do it like he does do it he becomes president later on 
Like, and it's because his fucking parents are just like, you have to do this kind of thing. And it's just so fucking cool. Like, I mean, it's not super cool, but like, it's just so interesting to see this dude who is, you see that he's on the downward and to see him like at this point in his presidency, he is kind of grasping at straws and even in the sense of just like my legacy will live on with my child, you know, like I will make my child this thing. And he does. And it's just mm. like so much of what Adam set out to do, he ended up doing. And I think that that's just kind of impressive, regardless of like how good it was, you know, like not all of its good stuff, but so much of what he set out to do, he fucking did. And that's kind of just impressive. Like, a lot of people say that they're going to do stuff and they never do. And I'm one of I'm I'm the I'm that people. <laughs> and like I get it. But like this is somebody who really does just like he sets his mind to one thing and he's going to do it and he just does it. Like he doesn't think about anything else until it's done. And he doesn't really take into account anybody else's opinions or feelings about it either. Like I think the only person that he ever really took any like input from was his wife um through most of his presidency and through most of his life like i remember reading a quote that was like that abigail adams had said to keep the women in mind when they were writing uh the constitution or writing the declaration of independence and it was like thanks man like not they he didn't do it so much but like appreciate that you kind of listened but like I mean, it kind of also goes back to with uh, when they did write the Declaration of Independence with Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and, and the other two that whose names get forgotten in history, unfortunately, um, that there was right like the original draft of the Declaration of Independence had condemned slavery. And then when it was handed off in editing to Adams and Franklin and Jefferson, that bit was removed. And it, I don't know who did it. We don't know who did it. But it's something to think about. Like, it got me to think, like, was Adams a dude to do it? I don't think he was, simply because of his, like, how openly he was against slavery. Like, because it was something that he did stand against pretty openly through most of his life. Like, especially with never owning slaves. He did tolerate the people around him having slaves, which is not chill. But, like, at least he's not owning slaves and i feel as though especially in a time period where so many of these people did like that's interesting man that's that's interesting absolutely and uh, we have to take all of these little pieces of evidence and use them to build up our estimation of these individuals um yeah. and um that in itself is is quite an undertaking um but one that we're very happy to to do um, yeah so the, the final sort of, uh, you know, of the three elements of his presidency, which uh, kind of defined him, we're not going to go into any particular detail of it. It's the quasi war. Um, yeah. And, and um, yeah, so with this, he kind of does what uh, well, he builds up the Navy. And that's what makes him known as the, the father of the U.S. Navy, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he also most notably um, sort of oversees the creation of something called the USS Constitution. Unless yeah. I'm mistaken. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty famous ship. Hmm. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe we could talk about that again um, at a future point. But um, so one term president, um, his party is falling apart, it seems. Um, he would like to be reelected, but isn't. His VP comes in, um, having you know formulated in, in many ways a different party, um, and he sort of escapes in the middle of the yeah. night, as we alluded to earlier. Later on, yeah. he does he does re, sort of rebuild his relationship with uh, with Jefferson, and uh, they became friends again. Which yeah. I thought was actually kind of cool. Like, I really enjoyed that. Like, actually, uh, Adam's last words are, Jefferson is still alive. Um, and by that point, like, they both died at, on the same day, which is 50 years after the, like, the Declaration of Independence was signed, which is really cool. Um, and he, to build that relationship like Thomas Jefferson had died a few hours beforehand, but like that those are his last words is just such an interesting thing with somebody who is his rival at this point, like somebody who has been like kind of working against him this whole time, even as his VP, and then to step in and to become president, like Adams worked really hard in the last like week or two of his presidency to fill the courts like we had said earlier that he stacks the courts and fills them with as many federalist seats as he possibly can um and this is like he's spending like the last hours of his time in presidency like writing these like letters to appoint these judges um and they're being sent out the door and like writers are riding off at the middle of the night and like by midnight he's just kind of like sneaking away and i feel as though in some weird way it's kind of understandable to have that feeling especially being the first president to live in this house you know like you probably build this really weird attachment to it of like i'm the first guy here you know like that's kind of a cool thing and to have this feeling of like maybe he just had this feeling of like i'm not quite done yet but like maybe in like a i'd like to redeem myself but I just don't know how he could have done it after just he it just felt like he kind of wrecked it so hard that it felt irredeemable. Yeah. Um, and so this is why we, we said earlier on in the piece that um, had he remained um, or had he limited his political career uh, to not having been made president, I would say vice president as well. But anyway, let's say at least president. Um, yeah. Then his his legacy would have been considerable. Um, as it is, people consider the highest position uh, that he attained in his lifetime and judge him upon the basis of that. Um, and uh, yeah, he is marked to a lesser degree as a result. So last time out, we did George Washington and George Washington yeah. scored an extremely impressive <laughs> 37. Um, um, okay. John Adams, uh, Aiden. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I mean, I remember saying that wanting to keep the bar really high, you know, and especially coming in as number two, not doing really anything that is good, but only like kind of damaging 
what has what he had set up, he's definitely he's definitely going to be in the twenties. Um, unfortunately, um, I'm trying to figure out where in the twenties. I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he's high in the 20s, unfortunately, as well. Kind of in the middle of the 20s, I'd say. Like, maybe 24. Just, he didn't do anything good. He only did damages to the things that he set up. And if we're only looking at it in this presidential, like, in his presidential term, like... Yeah, he's going to have to be in the in the mid 20s just because it's nothing good. And with George Washington being 37, like we I scored him pretty dang low, especially considering like how high the bar for a good president should be. He's definitely got to be in the I think 24 felt like a good number, so I'm going to stick with 24. Cool. All right, 24 has been entered into our official yeah. doc- document for that. Um so do you feel to, okay with 24? I, I love 24. 24, it's uh, that, that's the place to be, I think, if your name is John Adams. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just to sort of fill people in pretty much on what our plans are. So obviously they can tell that we're going to go through the presidents 1, 2, 47. Is it 47 at the moment? It's 46 yeah. right now. 46, okay, all right, yeah. yeah. But by the time we finish, it will be 47. Anyway. It, it um, might be 47. <laughs> It could be 48, depending on how long God, it takes. But, who knows? Um, yeah, but because it seems um, also relevant that uh, on our next uh, effort, we're actually going to jump across the Atlantic and we're going to take the prime ministers as well um, yeah. in, in order. So that yeah. means we're going to start with Mr. Robert Walpole, I believe. Um, and we're going to talk about him. And then we're also going to give him a rating too tight yeah so just to be fair um so that should be quite um that should be quite interesting um man that's exciting i'm looking forward to getting yeah yeah stuck into some british political um corruption um it's just fun to jump across the pond when uh when i'm given the opportunity you know i feel like i'm so america focused all the time and i'm i'm trying to step outside of that box a little bit more so it's fun to step over the pond definitely going to help you out with that particular effort um and yeah. uh, we'll see how it goes um aiden thank you very very much it's always entertaining again i'm sure i'm going to enjoy i have to say the last time i was editing the the, the george washington um podcast i i was laughing so much um <laughs> Um, so yeah thank you again and yeah of course yeah see you next time yeah next time two and a mic